This is the Scottish Football Citizen, bringing you the best of Scottish football from the past. I'm Andy Kerr, and this week I'm joined by Jim Orr as we take a look back at the life and career of a true legend of the Scottish game. This player is viewed by many as the greatest ever player to have come out of Scotland and is revered the world over for his exploits in the famous red shirt of Manchester United. Of course, we can only be talking about one player, the man known as the King, Dennis Law. Before we get started, here's this week's trivia for you. The first ever international football match took place in Glasgow on the 30th of November 1872 when Scotland played England at the West of Scotland cricket ground. But what was the score? We'll tell you at the end of the podcast. On the 25th of May 1963, the FA Cup final was played at Wembley between Leicester City and Manchester United. Leicester were the bookies' favourites leading up to the game, having been title contenders at one point in the season, before falling away to finish fourth under the Scottish manager, Matt Gillies. His counterpart at Manchester United, Matt Busby, couldn't have had a more different season. His team had narrowly avoided relegation, which is astounding given the players he had at his disposal. Both teams had made it to the final, despite the famous big freeze in the previous winter, which saw many games repeatedly postponed. The winter of late 1962 and early 1963 was particularly harsh and led to many games up and down the country being unable to go ahead due to terrible weather conditions. This led to both the semi-finals and the final being delayed by several weeks to allow teams to play their outstanding fixtures. When the final eventually came around, many neutrals would be cheering for Busby United as a result of the tragedy that United had suffered in the Munich Air Disaster of 1958. Travelling home from Belgrade, the plane carrying United staff and Manchester journalists crashed on the runway, killing many on board and leaving Matt Busby fighting for his life. Having recovered, he set about rebuilding United into the force they looked like becoming the previous decade. This was United's first chance at silverware since that fateful crash, and if Busby's team could lift the famous old trophy, then it would be no small miracle given that five years earlier there was talk of winding up the club in the aftermath of Munich. United took to the field in their famous red shirts, while Leicester wore a white kit with blue trim, as both sides' home kits would have been indistinguishable on black and white TV sets. Leicester had four Scots on their side, John Soberg, Frank McClintock, Ian King and Dave Gibson, while United had three, Paddy Crayland, David Herd and Dennis Law. The game kicked off at 3pm and it was the Foxes who started well. In the early stages of the game, United were extremely lucky not to concede several times, with their defence coming to the rescue, after United's goalkeeper, David Gaskell, made errors that could have been punished. After 15 minutes, the Red Devils grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck. Chances started to fall for United, and on the half hour, Bobby Charlton took a shot which was saved by Gordon Banks. Having dealt with the danger, Banks threw the ball out to Dave Gibson, but Paddy Crennan had guessed where the ball would be going and intercepted the throw. Crennan bounded forward into the box and looked for an option rather than shooting. 
He passed to the far side of the box where Dennis Law was waiting to receive the ball from him. Law turned around as he collected the ball, distracting the Fox's defence and fired the ball past the helpless Banks into the Leicester net. The red half of Wembley exploded with noise as Dennis Law had put United one up. United then went two up through David Heard but suffered a setback when Ken Keyworth scored for Leicester in the 80th minute and it looked like the Foxes might get another goal to take the game to a replay. However, David Heard settled the nerves with his second goal of the game five minutes later and the Red Devils won the cup 3-1. After climbing the famous Wembley steps to lift the cup, United eschewed the tradition of standing to attention where the national anthem was played and instead paraded the cup round the stadium. Despite being criticised for this by the English press, the national anthem was never played at the end of the FA Cup final again and future finals would be all about the fans seeing their heroes parade the cup. Afterwards, Matt Busby told David Coleman that his size big game players had won them the match and there was possibly no better big game player than the diminutive Scottish striker. This is the story of Dennis Law, the man the Stratford then called the King. Dennis Law was born on the 24th of February 1940 at 6 Printfield Terrace in Aberdeen to Robina and George Law. Dennis was the youngest of seven children and grew up in the tenement flat he was born in. The Laws were a poor family who depended on George's wages as a fisherman in order to survive, and young Dennis would often go without footwear, only getting hand-me-down shoes and clothes when someone else outgrew them. It wasn't until he turned 15 when he received his first ever football boots as a gift from a neighbour whose son played football. They were still second-hand, but much better than playing barefoot. Due to George being away on the seas for most of the time, Robina somehow managed to bring all seven of her children up. Young Dennis had a natural talent for football, playing with rags, tennis balls or even tin cans in the street due to being unable to afford the real football. When he had enough money to afford going to the football on a Saturday, he would walk the half hour to Petaudry to cheer on the Dons. If money was tight, he would go and see a local junior or amateur team instead of Aberdeen. As many young boys were, and still are to this day, young Dennis was obsessed with football. This obsession even led him to turn down a place at Aberdeen Grammar School due to them being a rugby playing school. Instead, he went to Pivis Academy for his secondary education. It was a wise move, as he showed enough promise to be selected for Scotland schoolboys after being switched from playing full-back to inside left. There was only one problem for Dennis. He had a rather unfortunate squint that made him look odd in comparison to his peers who would tease him by calling him cockeye. This led to Dennis playing with one eye closed for his entire career. In 1955, Huddersfield Town Scouts had identified 15-year-old Dennis as a potential target. Their manager, Andy Beattie, was at first unimpressed when seeing his prospective new talent, saying, The boy's a freak. Never did I see a less likely football prospect. He was weak, puny and bespectacled. Going by this less than glowing review, you might have thought that would be the end of their interest, but you'd be wrong. 
Huddersfield signed Dennis in the summer of 1955 and he left Aberdeen for Yorkshire. This came as a big surprise to the young man, who had completely different aspirations at the time despite his talent, as he would later say, The idea of playing football for a career wasn't something I had ever thought of. I wanted to become an architect. I was interested in that side of things and was doing quite well at school. Did I know I had a talent? Not really. I just enjoyed playing football. Being able to play and send a couple of quid home to my mum was a big thing for me. Huddersfield Town decided to do something about his squint and ensured that he got an operation to have it fixed in Aberdeen. Following this, Dennis found himself with a new confidence due to no longer looking different from anyone else and suddenly felt he was able to chat to girls who may have been put off by his old squint. Gone were the days of having newspaper editors photoshopping out his squint with a pencil as they had done in his schoolboy days. This was a new, improved, confident lawman. Dennis made his debut for the Terriers against Notts County on Christmas Eve of 1956, with Huddersfield winning 2-1. He and Kevin McHale were the same age, playing together for the first time in this match, and they became the youngest wing duo to play in any peacetime match to date at that point. With McHale in the right wing position and Law as the inside left, the two struck up a good partnership on and off the field. Having been relegated to the second division the previous summer, it was easier for Dennis to get a game, and he continued to play when Andy Beattie left and was replaced by his assistant, Bill Shankly. Shankly immediately took a shine to Dennis, and so did the crowds at Leeds Road, with many turning up simply to see his silky skills. It wasn't just in Yorkshire that Dennis was gaining admirers, but over in Lancashire he had gained a very famous fan, Matt Busby of Manchester United. Busby could see the potential that Law had and wanted him for his young, exciting team known as the Busby Babes. This young team contained the likes of Duncan Edwards and Bobby Charlton, and it could have featured Law too, as Busby was prepared to offer Shankly £10,000, almost a quarter of a million pounds today, for Dennis. This was a huge amount of money for a teenage player, but the Huddersfield board turned it down. Despite this, Busby would be keeping tabs on Law in the future. As time went on, Bill Shankly left Huddersfield Town for Liverpool in December 1959 and wanted his first signing to be Dennis Law. However, at the time, Liverpool were a struggling second division outfit, far from the club Shankly would mould them to be, and couldn't afford to pay the kind of money Huddersfield wanted. Dennis stayed on at Leeds Road a few months longer, until March 1960, when there was more interest from Manchester, but this time, it was the blue side. Manchester City were prepared to pay Huddersfield £55,000, almost £1.3 million today, for Dennis's services. He was not convinced he was joining a better side in terms of players and form, but he knew that City were a much bigger club in terms of stature than Huddersfield, and made the move across from Yorkshire to Lancashire. Matt Busby had once again tried to engineer a move to United, but City had beaten him on this occasion 
with a record fee. There was no doubt that Matt Bosby was a big fan of Dennis Law. It was Bosby who gave Dennis his first international call-up to play for Scotland while he was playing for Huddersfield Town. Busby was combining his role as manager of Manchester United alongside the Scotland national team and would do so until the Munich air disaster meant he had to step down and focus on recovering. His first cap for Scotland came in a match against Wales with a goal in a 3-0 victory and it was to be the first of a great many caps and goals for his country. 55 caps and 30 goals to be precise. Dennis Law remains the joint top goalscorer for Scotland alongside Kenny Dalgleish. Being called up was a huge source of pride for the lawman, claiming, There's nothing bigger than playing for your country. While Dennis and many of his Scottish contemporaries were incredibly unlucky not to make it to a tournament in the 1960s, they did manage to shine in several home international matches against England. The one match in particular that probably defines Law's international career best of all is the famous match against the old enemy at Wembley in April 1967. Missing out on the 1966 World Cup was a very sore experience for Dennis, who was in the golf course when Bobby Moore was lifting the Jules Rimet trophy at Wembley. And with England being unbeaten in 19 games, Dennis was determined to spoil their day. He was so focused on winning that when his Manchester United teammate Nobby Styles said hello to him before the game, Law blanked him. Dennis gave his reasons for this, saying, They're the opposition. This is not a friendly game. Even when it was a friendly game. After the game, not a problem. During the game, we don't want it. Dennis scored the first goal in an iconic 3-2 win to make Scotland the unofficial champions of the world. And for that afternoon, a small part of London became part of Scotland. Watching from the stand that day was a man who wished to emulate Law's success as a forward, a certain Alec Ferguson, who later said, We all need role models. Dennis was a year and a half older than me. I looked at him and thought, That's who I want to be. Back in Manchester, Dennis was enjoying the city but was frustrated with being Manchester City's star player. City were a team struggling against relegation in the late 50s and early 60s, and Dennis was eager to challenge for silverware instead of treading water in the league. One match which possibly sums up his time at Main Road, best of all, was an FA Cup tie against Luton Town, where Dennis scored six goals and City looked to be cruising into the next round. However, with 20 minutes to go, the game was abandoned. And when it was replayed, City lost 3-1. But suddenly in the summer of 1961, an exotic opportunity arose for Dennis. The Italian side Torino were interested in signing both Dennis and Hibernian's Joe Baker, and the Italian side paid City £110,000 to sign Law, another record signing fee. This works out at just over £2.5 million in today's money. Internazionale tried to sabotage the signing, by claiming that Law had signed a pre-contract with them. But the Milan club soon withdrew these claims and Dennis moved to the north of Italy. Dennis formed a good partnership with his new club captain, Enzo Birzo, and found allies in other British players who had already moved to Italy, such as John Charles of Juventus, who had helped to take Torino's great city rivals 
to the Championship the season before Law made his move. Given players in England had a maximum wage of £20 per week at the time, Dennis saw his move to Italy as a chance to take in a new culture and earn more than he would in England. On arriving in Italy, the reality was that the defensive Catenaccio style of play was unsuited to him, as it didn't allow forwards a lot of chances to score. The wages were excellent if the team won, but if they lost, the Torino players were paid a pittance. Tragedy almost struck on the 7th of February 1962, when Dennis and Joe Baker were involved in a car crash. Baker drove the car the wrong way around the roundabout, causing the car to flip. Despite Baker nearly being killed and spending weeks in hospital with facial injuries, Dennis received only minor injuries. By April 1962, Dennis had enough of life in Italy and handed in a transfer request, which was ignored by Torino. Law was unrepentant in his wish to leave, and after being sent off in a game against Napoli, after his manager told the referee to send him off, that was the final straw for Dennis. Upon being told that he was going to be transferred to Manchester United at first, Torino then said he'd be going to Juventus. Law packed his things and flew back home to Aberdeen. Matt Busby was absolutely determined to have his way and signed Dennis this time, and in July 1962, he finally got his wish. Dennis Law was back in Manchester and was determined to enjoy himself again in familiar surroundings. Despite his problems in Italy, Law won the Italian Player of the Year award and enjoyed living in Italy, as he said in 2020. The football was so defensive and you were getting two people marking you, so it was a difficult game. Everything else was fine. The ladies were fine. The wine was fine. I liked the people there but the football was quite difficult. Back in Manchester, at Old Trafford rather than Main Road, Dennis got off to a fantastic start by scoring his first goal for United just minutes into his debut against West Bromwich Albion. He would have to wait until the middle of December for his next goals, when he scored a double in the derby against City to send his former employers to a 2-0 defeat. The goals kept coming, and Dennis finished the season as United's top scorer, with 23 league goals and 29 goals in all competitions. It was just as well he got his goals, because without them, there was a real possibility that United could have been relegated. In the modern age, it's unthinkable to imagine a club like Manchester United getting relegated, but they finished just ahead of the relegation zone. 1962 had been a good year for Dennis, he was free from the shenanigans of Torino, he was back scoring goals in a city that he enjoyed living in, and in December 1962 he got married to Diana, whom he had met in July of that year. One incident in 1962 that left a sour taste with law came days after his wedding in a game against Leicester City, where the referee Gilbert Pullen was accused of taunting law with insults throughout the game. Busby and Law reported Pullen to the FA and Pullen eventually quit refereeing. And Law believed this gained him overly harsh punishments from referees for future offences in years to come. In fairness, Dennis could handle himself on the park and wasn't afraid to give as good as he got given that every team he played against would be under instruction to mark him heavily. On one occasion, when United played Arsenal, he became involved in an altercation with Ian Ewer after Dennis tackled him. 
Despite Ewer being taller than Law, this didn't deter him, and the two men came to blows with each other, leading to both men being sent off. While Ian Ewer said, Dennis would have kicked his own granny if he could have, Law claimed that the referee should have let the two of them duke it out. The pair were banned for six weeks following their fight. Dennis was never one to back out of a fight, having been a believer in the schoolyard rule of if someone kicks you, kick him back and he won't kick you again. Alec Ferguson summed it up when he said, Dennis had incredible courage. He could face a lion. When Manchester United reached the FA Cup final of 1963, they were cheered on by millions across the country, willing them on to success as they beat Leicester City to lift their first trophy in six years and their first piece of silverware since the Munich air disaster. This cup win was to be the spark that ignited Matt Busby's second great United team as they went on to achieve more and more success. Despite losing the Charity Shield match 4-0 to Everton, who had won the league the previous season, European football was back on the menu at Old Trafford with ties in the Cup Winners' Cup. Dennis was definitely the man for the big occasion as he scored hat-tricks against Willem Tway and Tottenham Hotspur before United lost to Sporting of Portugal. But it would only be the first of many European adventures for this team. While United finished second in the league behind Bill Shankly's Liverpool, and were knocked out of the FA Cups in the semi-finals against West Ham United, things were definitely on the up for the Reds. Dennis had bettered his tally for the previous season and was again United's top scorer with 30 league goals and 46 in all competitions. 1963 had also seen the emergence of a seminal Northern Irish talent into the United first team. None other than the Belfast boy himself, George Best. United's attacking trio of Best, Law and Charlton were ready to terrorise defences up and down the country. In the words of Kenny Dalgleish, how do you take care of those three? You don't. Busby's team had finally started to gel together and United were champions of England in 1965 with Dennis finishing as the club's top scorer yet again. Dennis also won the coveted Ballon d'Or in 1965 and remains the only Scottish player to win the prestigious award. The following season would bring disappointment when Dennis injured his right knee playing for Scotland against Poland. And given that he had had an operation on this knee while at Huddersfield, this was unfortunately going to be a recurring injury throughout his career. 1967 saw another league title come to Old Trafford and Matt Busby was determined to use this season to have a real shot at the European Cup. He sensed that this great team was in their prime, and this was their big chance to win what many thought the Busby Babes should have won ten years prior. Hibernians of Malta, FK Sarajevo of Yugoslavia, and Gordnik Zabrze of Poland were all dispatched on the way to the semi-finals, where United would face a tough test in Real Madrid. George Best put United up 1-0 at Old Trafford in the first leg which gave the Red Devils the advantage before going to the Bernabeu. But disaster struck for Dennis as he was injured and would miss the second leg which saw United through to the final at Wembley after a 3-3 draw. While United played out a thrilling 4-1 win after extra time in which George Best's quality really shone, 
Dennis was watching the match from his hospital bed with a crate of beer provided by a nearby off-licence. It was a cruel disappointment that a big game player like Dennis Law would miss out on what was to be United's greatest victory in the club's history at that point. Law was very stoic in his outlook on things, being of the view that there was no point in him playing if he wasn't fit to give his all for his team. Matt Busby had been chasing the dream of winning the European Cup since before even the Munich Air disaster, and now he had finally done it and banished the ghosts of his past. This truly was his finest hour. Following the European Cup win, Dennis made his way back into the United team and continued to score goals. However, Matt Busby's second great team had peaked, and he retired as manager to become general manager of the club in 1969, leaving Wilf McGuinness in charge. Dennis barely played this season, as injuries were starting to plague his career more and more. In 1970, United put Dennis on the transfer list and put a price tag of £60,000 on him. Not far off a million pounds in today's money, but no interest came from anywhere and he stayed put. United also signed Ian Ewer, who admits himself that he had a bad knee at this point and that Arsenal couldn't wait to offload him. And with ageing, crocked players in the team, it was an unfortunate sign of things to come for the Reds. United's form was nowhere near that of the previous few years and they started to slip down the table, leading the club to sack McGuinness and putting Busby back in temporary charge. Frank O'Farrell then came into the role of manager, but he too was a failure and much to his annoyance, Matt Busby was brought out of retirement yet again to take the team. The United board knew they had to get their next appointment right and in came Tommy Doherty from the Scotland national team. Law had been asked who he would like to have seen take charge by the board and having played for Doherty at Scotland, Law recommended the dock. Doherty didn't mess around when it came to chopping and changing players and knew that it was time to break up the core of Busby's old team. In the summer of 1973, the dock decided that with Bobby Charlton leaving Old Trafford, it was time for Dennis to move on too. Dennis was at home in Aberdeen when he was told of this news and felt let down by Doherty as he did not want to leave United. He left Old Trafford having scored 237 goals in 404 games. Only Bobby Charlton and Wayne Rooney have ever scored more for United. He had won two league titles and an FA Cup and should have had a European Cup medal had fate been kinder to him. When Johnny Hart the manager of Manchester City showed an interest in signing Dennis. It was a no-brainer for the lawman. There was no need to move to a new house and he could stay in a city that he clearly had an affinity for. Things got off to a flyer for the lawman as his second debut for City saw him scoring a double against Birmingham City on the opening day of the season. And fans at Main Road once again got to see the iconic goal celebration of a single finger from a raised fist. City were on course for a reasonable season and made the League Cup final, being beaten by Wolverhampton Wanderers at Wembley. The same could not be said for the cross-city rivals at Old Trafford. Despite Tommy Doherty's best efforts, United were poor and spent the majority of the season near the foot of the table. 
At Christmas in 1973, Alex Stepney, United's goalkeeper, was the top goalscorer by virtue of being a penalty taker. For a club of United stature, this was unacceptable. A late rally in the early spring came for the Red Devils, but going into the Manchester Derby in April 1974, they would have to win and hope that other results went their way too. It was the penultimate game of the season and United came flying out of the traps at Old Trafford. Chance after chance came for United, but no goals went in. A draw was no use to them and the 36 years in the top play of English football hung in the balance. At half time it was goalless and United continued to strive for a goal as they shot towards the Stretford end in the second half. Again, more chances came for the Reds, with City getting their own too, but still no goals for either side. In the 80th minute, Francis Lee passed to Colin Bell who took the ball all the way from the halfway line to the box. Rather than shoot himself, he looked for the nearest teammate he could find in the United box. Bell passed to Dennis Law who, acting on striker's instinct alone, skillfully backheeled the ball past Alex Stepney in the United goal. As a blue corner of the ground erupted with glee, the United terraces fell silent for a moment in pure disbelief. Dennis Law, the king of the Stretford end, had done the unthinkable and scored against his old side with the most devastating of consequences. While his City teammates congratulated him, he was disconsolate and walked straight off the pitch to be substituted. The pitch was invaded by United fans who attempted to have the game abandoned and while they were successful, the result stood. Manchester United were relegated. A slight consolation for Dennis was that regardless of whether he had scored or not, Birmingham City's win over Norwich City meant that United would have gone down anyway. This goal was the last touch Dennis Law would make in league football. Following appearances in Texaco Cup matches in August 1974, City's new boss Tony Book made it clear that Dennis would be playing mostly in City's reserves and Dennis decided to call time on his playing career. Before this though, there was one last hurrah for the lawman at international level with Scotland's qualification for the 1974 World Cup in West Germany. Dennis had played a crucial part in Scotland getting to West Germany in the first place with an excellent performance in the autumn of 1973 against Czechoslovakia at Hamden. A 2-1 win for Scotland secured their place and after not being selected for Sweden in 1958 and missing out in 1962, 66 and 1970, he would finally be crossing playing for Scotland in a major tournament off his bucket list. Dennis played in Scotland's first match against Zaire as Peter Lorimer and Joe Jordan grabbed first half goals to give Scotland their first ever win at the World Cup. Despite this, Scotland couldn't manage to grab any more goals against Zaire and that was to prove costly as they crashed out of the group stage despite not losing a single game. Still, Dennis and his compatriots had done the country proud and he had finally achieved his dream of playing at a World Cup. Following his retirement, Dennis became a carpet salesman and was surprised by the BBC TV show 
This is your life, where his family and friends toasted his excellent career for both club and country. He was no stranger to the TV cameras, appearing as a presenter for football shows on Granada TV for years. Despite no longer playing the game, his influence has remained strong the world over, with former Arsenal and Netherlands player Dennis Bergkamp revealing that his parents wanted to name him Dennis with one N after law, but the Dutch authorities did not recognise that spelling, so they went for two N's instead. In 2002, Dennis was inducted to the English Football Hall of Fame, followed by the Scottish Football Hall of Fame on its launch in 2004. In 2008, a statue of United's Holy Trinity of George Best, Bobby Charlton and Dennis Law was unveiled outside Old Trafford. Another statue of Law followed in 2012 at Aberdeen Sports Village, which he had opened in 2010. In 2016, he was made a CBE by Prince William for his services to football and charity. And in 2017, he was awarded the freedom of the city of Aberdeen. Even though he was no longer playing, the awards just kept on coming. For several years, Dennis campaigned in Aberdeen with the Dennis Law Legacy Trust to have no ball game signs taken down across the city to allow young people to play football more. Unfortunately, in August 2021, Law was diagnosed with both Alzheimer's and vascular dementia, but was typically stoic about his diagnosis and determined to still live life to the full. Just when everyone thought that the lawman had enough statues of himself, another was unveiled in November 2021 by Law and his great friend Sir Alec Ferguson just off Broad Street in Law's native Aberdeen the same city where Ferguson also took Aberdeen FC to unprecedented levels of glory. It's fair to say that the man the Stretford end of Old Trafford still call the King hasn't done too badly for himself at all, and it's probably best summed up by the man himself who said, I was a very lucky guy, wasn't I? To play football and get paid for it. The only thing was, I wish we had the payment that they get today. I would probably retire at 21. At the start of the podcast, we asked you what the score was in the first ever international football match between Scotland and England in 1872. The answer is 0-0. Despite there being no goals in this game, there was a clear difference in the style of play between the two teams as England played a kick-and-rush style game where one player would run with the ball until tackled. Scotland, however, played a passing game and pioneered this style of play that has been used by every single football team since. Scotland claimed to have scored the goal at one point, but due to the crossbar not having been invented at this point, the umpire, yes, umpire, declared that the ball had gone over and no goal was awarded. Scotland's team all played for Queen's Park FC, while England chose their players from different teams across the country. Scotland played in dark blue shirts and socks with grey shorts, as those were the strips used by Queen's Park, and after the game, they decided to keep this kit for the next international match, thus giving Scotland their distinctive dark blue kits. This also meant Queen's Park looked for new colours, and they settled on their distinctive thin black and white hoops which have been worn ever since, 
with one exception for the club's 150th anniversary, where they reverted to dark blue shirts and socks with grey shorts. The Scottish Football Citizen is written, edited and produced by Andy Kerr for Football Memories Scotland, in association with Alzheimer's Scotland and the Scottish Football Museum. Additional contributions from Robert Harvey, Jim Orr, Lindsay Hamilton and Richard McGrearty. Additional material from BBC Sport Scotland, STV Sport, The Press and Journal, Glasgow Times, The Glasgow Herald, The Times of London, The Dennis Law Legacy Trust, VoicesInFootball.com and Manchester United, born winners by James McCarthy. <laughs>